within the heart of a flower, the fountain of beauty. Within the heart of a community, a fire that warms and dances. And within the heart of each of us, a spark of the spirit of life. Holy, holy, holy. We gather here on this summer Sunday morning here in London, capital city of the United Kingdom, one of 195 countries of the world, part of a world population of 7 point nearly 7 billion people, sharing our planet Earth home with billions of different species of living beings, some of which even now are crawling across our flowers seeking a way home. We're truly not alone, are we? Yet we are unique, each and every one of us bringing our particular version of this human life story to this time and this place. So I welcome you, one and all, to Essex Church, the spiritual home of this gathered community of Kensington Unitarians. And I send a special welcome to our podcast listeners, who will be listening at some time in the future and whose supportive messages are a great reminder that we live in an interconnected world. Ours is a community that celebrates diversity, that encourages independence of thought and supports us all in being ourselves. Here we remind one another of our interdependence, that our journeys, both outer and inner, our journeys are, well, they offer much more, don't they, when they're travelled in the company, the good company of others. So I invite you now to take a breath, a conscious moment, to acknowledge your arrival here today, our choosing to spend time together, our yearning for times of reflection and calm, chance to, to ponder on the living of our lives, to wrestle perhaps with the deep issues of our time and to strengthen our sense of connectedness with that which is greater than ourselves. Our chalice is lit in gratitude for our lives here on earth, connecting us with progressive religious communities the world over and reminding us that justice requires us to live more fairly, both with those we share our lives with now and for the generations yet to come. This is the, um, the briefest of stories. I seem to have preceded it from some very lovely children's book and I've taken out probably quite a lot of the best bits except perhaps for the the message at the end of it all but it's the story as uh, stories so often do that starts once upon a time that tells of the greatest treasure in the world being hidden in a chest and that chest was locked and it was hidden inside a cave that could only be found with the help of a map. And it is said that a very clever eagle-eyed monkey found the key to that chest high up in a tree. And an elephant 
with all its great strength, managed to move a boulder that stood in the way on the track that led to the secret chest. And the snake, the clever snake, found the map under some stones when they really had no idea how to find that chest. And all those animals went off looking for the chest on their own. One with its strength, one with its key, one with its map, and of course they had no success. But then a small but very clever bee realised what the problem was, gathered the animals together to work as a team. And the animals eventually took the bee's advice and after many adventures and difficulties, they managed to find the chest. And when they opened it, they found that there was just a single piece of parchment, old paper, there inside. And on the paper it said, Congratulations, if you've got this far, then you have already discovered the greatest treasure in the world, and that is the treasure of friendship. And they had got that far, and they had already found that greatest treasure in the world of friendship. And it is said that the animals realised the truth of this message and lived happily ever after. <laughs> But I was trying this story out on a group of friends and a, 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 you know, a discussion ensued which could keep you thinking for the rest of this service. What are the greatest treasures in life? I wonder. I wonder the, what the greatest treasures in your life is. We're going to move now into a time of reflection and prayer. And let's Let's focus on that idea of a spark of life and love that dwells in all beings and connects us to one another. And we know that, that life is not always easy, even in the relative plenty of our existences here in London. We know that many of us are holding struggles, fears, nagging anxieties that need to be acknowledged. May all, all troubles be counterbalanced by moments of joy and gratitude. I invite you now, if you wish, to find something for which you feel grateful and hold that in your heart saying a silent thank you for something that lifts your spirits. And for many of us, there are, there are times, aren't there, when we know we fall short of how we would wish to be in this world. Our grievances and our jealousies, our irritations and our fault-finding. I invite each of us in our heart to, to find compassion for ourselves and for the ways that we are sometimes less than we would wish to be.
And may we keep sowing seeds of compassion that help us accept the failings of others too, as well as ourselves. And let's take a few moments to think with concern for those who are troubled this day, especially those who do not have the basics of life. Enough food, clean water, a secure home, supportive communities, people living in those places of war or under repressive regimes, May we find some ways to show our support and our concern and match it with practical action where we can. And may we, each of us in our different ways, find ways to walk a path of love in the days ahead. Love for ourselves, love for others, and love for this precious world in which we live. Love for the gift of life itself, this day and all days. Amen. There's a shared reading that I'm going to uh, invite us all to say together. Um, this was written way back in the 1990s, and it's actually worth remembering that these environmental concerns, some of which I'm going to be speaking about today, they've long been on the world agenda, haven't they? Um, so this comes from the United Nations Environmental Sabbath Programme, and there are some lovely other materials there. But let's um, speak this together, if you wish. We join with the earth and with each other to bring new life to the land, to restore the waters, to refresh the air. We join with the earth and with each other to renew the forests, to care for the plants, to protect the creatures. We join with the earth and with each other to celebrate the seas, to rejoice in the sunlight, to sing the song of the stars. We join with the earth and with each other to recreate the human community, to promote justice and peace, to remember our children. We join with the earth and with each other we join together as many and diverse expressions of one loving mystery for the healing of the earth and the renewal of all life. So may it be.
Thank you, Sandra. Um, music to bring us into a more meditative time of the service. And you might, we're going to um, do a meditation now to uh, honour the summer solstice, which happened on Friday. But there are some words that you might like to um, just have a look at now. Um, they're, they're from the um, American, yeah, often credited as being one of the founders of the environmental movement, John Muir. And um, these words really touched me. He wrote that the, the sun shines not on us, but in us. The rivers flow not past, but through us. Thrilling, tingling, vibrating every fibre and cell of the substance of our bodies, making them glide and sing. The trees wave and the flowers bloom in our bodies as well as our souls. And every bird song, wind song and tremendous storm song of the rocks in the heart of the mountains is our song, our very own, and it sings our love. Beautiful words from John Muir. And maybe we can take that idea of there being a a spark of everything in each and every one of us into this meditative time. So I invite you to do whatever you do to help you turn inwards, maybe enjoy that feeling of resting on a chair, resting on the earth beneath our feet, maybe softening your gaze or closing your eyes and allowing that gentle rhythm of your own breathing to take you inwards aware, as we always are really, of the busy city outside and, and the noises inside this room, but able for a while to turn inwards and to remember that on Friday it was the, the summer solstice here in the Northern Hemisphere, the longest day and the shortest night. And in our meditation, you might want to consider what it means to live on a planet spinning in space around a glowing, life-giving sun, bringing warmth and illumination to us all. We are part of everything that exists. Our, um, our Unitarian congregations here in the UK are organised into district associations 
And yesterday afternoon, our London and South East District held one of its quarterly meetings, hosted by the congregation in Horsham, West Sussex. How many of us have been to Horsham in our lives? Not all that many. What a lovely place and what lovely people who all send greetings back to you. Um, four of us Kensington Unitarians went along and it was great meeting people and, and we took part in a kind of combined worship and workshop afternoon which had an environmental theme. Now you always meet someone new at these meetings and, and you learn something new. So I met someone who is an expert on editing Wikipedia entries. Now, didn't know that there were experts in that particular subject, do you? And she's offered to run a workshop on the topic. She, she reminded me what a remarkable invention Wikipedia is. It's free, it's globally available, it's an encyclopedia, and it's created collaboratively and is ever being refreshed by its contributors. And the challenge to us women is that apparently 90% of the contributors are men. What has happened there? So there are going to be some workshops so that we women put in our two pennyworth on uh, Wikipedia. I also met somebody who, who'd spent his working life as a scientist within the packaging industry. And, and he described really movingly his growing realisation of the problems that plastic packaging now poses for our world. Imagine finding out that your life's work has actually caused a lot of problems. Um, the, the Horsham congregation hosts a green spirit group where people gather to inform one another and inspire one another and express their spiritual yearnings through earth-based traditions, as they're sometimes called, and, and attempting to live more harmoniously with all beings. Uh, I'll be writing a bit more about Green Spirit in July's newsletter, and the, some of us are hoping we could set up such a group. During the afternoon at Horsham, we had the chance to talk about changes we're making to our lifestyles. And it was inspiring to hear the steps people are taking in order to live more sustainably. On our journey there, Michaela reminded us of the Native American tradition that requires all leaders to consider the decisions they are about to make in the light of the effects each decision may have seven generations into the future. This seventh generation principle, as it's known, would require us all to consider the effects of our decisions now for those living perhaps 140, 200 years in the future. Now, we lamented as we sat on that train the, um, the fact that so much political decision-making at the moment is based on the really short election cycles of four or five years with too many politicians only thinking of how to act so that they are re-elected. When some of the decisions that our governments need to be taking are actually not going to make them popular with quite a few people, but they might just ensure that future generations can live on a planet that is still green and still beautiful. 
Now, Wikipedia defines sustainable living as a lifestyle that attempts to reduce an individual's or a society's use of the Earth's limited natural resources and personal resources. Practitioners of sustainable living, they write, often attempt to reduce their carbon footprint by altering methods of transportation, energy consumption and diet. Proponents of sustainable living aim to conduct their lives in ways that are consistent with sustainability, in natural balance and respectful of humanity's symbiotic relationship with the Earth's natural ecology and its cycles. I think most of us are in agreement with all of that as a principle, aren't we? Another way that that's put here, in, in, certainly in Britain, and I'm quite sure elsewhere, the idea that we need to reduce our consumption, we need to reuse more items and repair more items rather than just throwing them away, and then thirdly, recycle whenever we possibly can. Reduce, reuse and recycle. I mean, this, this growing awareness that we all have now of the damage that some of our lifestyles are doing to our planet Earth home, that, that requires us to question, and it's a useful question at any time in life, well, what is it we actually need in life? What do we need? What is it we treasure? And what really matters? We know that capitalism as a, an economic system requires us to keep consuming, keep wanting more, more, more. Because in capitalist economics, if the figures don't show that graph going up, there is a problem. Alternatively, we could be looking at new economic models that are based on sustainability principles. So in that story we heard earlier on, the, the animals discovered that the greatest treasure was friendship. When I asked some friends what, what they treasured most, they mentioned things you've probably thought of this morning, friends, families. Feeling safe was something that several people mentioned, feeling safe. Access to clean water, enough food, um, education, which is something that we can take for granted, but my goodness, isn't it important that we have access to education? Being able to walk in a park or sit in a garden. And several people mentioned freedom, just freedom, to be who you are, to do what you choose to do. Really, some of these could be considered very basic needs for, for human life, couldn't they? I mean, it, do, it does still shock me, although funny enough, I checked my figures this very morning. I'm, I'm, we're living in a world where we can put satellites up in space and we can build ever more skyscraper buildings. But when I checked this morning, it seems to be the case that 30% of the world's population still don't have access to clean drinking water. Now, I, I last wrote something about this, I think, 10 years ago. I'm fairly sure the figure was 60% of people then. So in 10 years, there's clearly been progress. But come on, it doesn't cost much, does it, to provide clean drinking water? Now, I know some of you, and, and I certainly, have been inspired by the uh, work of environmental activist uh, Joanna Macy. Um, she... She ran, for many years, workshops called Despair and Empowerment. 
Um, in her latest book, which is uh, co-written with Chris Johnston, a book called Active Hope, they write that feeling gratitude is actually the first step to healing our pain about um, environmental destruction. It's really important to... Um, I'm quoting her here. When we come from gratitude, we become more present to the wonders of being alive in this amazing living world. And let's just not ever forget that absolute wonder. Um, but she also, Joanna Macy, encourages us all to express our despair. Again, I'm quoting from that book. The very act of looking at what we love and value in our world brings with it an awareness of the vast violation underway, the despoliation and unravelling. So from gratitude, we naturally flow to honouring our pain for this world. Admitting the depths of our anguish, even to ourselves, that takes us into culturally forbidden territory, because from an early age, she writes, we had to pull ourselves together to cheer ourselves up or shut up. <laughs> By honouring our pain for the world, we break through the taboos that silence our distress. When the activating siren of inner alarm is no longer muffled or shut out, she writes, something gets switched on inside us, and that is our survival response. I think this is really powerful stuff. That's the end of the quote. It's this survival response that we need to activate, because that will take us beyond the paralyzing effects of, what's the point? What can I personally do? There is something we can do. We can acknowledge the pain of injustice, we can acknowledge the pain of fear, that it's all too much for us to deal with, and we can acknowledge the despair that comes with that sense of powerlessness. And then I really hope it'll inspire us to find new economic models that don't depend on growth, on forever seeking new markets for new products, selling us all more and more stuff that we don't really need. Um, I just I wanted to mention today some ideas, but really I'm just you know this is the briefest mention. But there is an idea around called the sharing economy, and um, a new book's been published this week called Generation Share. Um, and I'm quoting here from one of the um, editors of that book, Benita Batowska. By understanding what the sharing economy is, we see that sharing and its impact is now a global phenomena. Our research demonstrates that we've got enough resources to feed, house, clothe and educate the entire global population. If we can unleash our collective capacity to share, we could end world poverty. Um, and they go on to look at all sorts of trailblazing entrepreneurs, um, the change makers of our time as they call them. Um, I mean, some of these examples, again, we were talking about this on the train yesterday, examples like Airbnb and Uber give, sadly, the sharing economy a bad name because, of course, this is what capitalism does. It takes a great entrepreneurial idea and then it finds ways to make money out of it. Surprise, surprise. But I, I just wanted to bring up two examples that I know are happening here in Britain. Um, one is housing schemes 
that encourage elders who are living alone and have space in their home to invite a younger person who can't afford, for example, a London rent to live with them so that they can perhaps stay in their own home for longer. And that is really developing well. And another example um, that impresses me is called Park Run. I mean, the reason that there aren't hundreds of people here in church at this very moment are because they're all running round the park in a free project called Park Run, which is led by its members and encourages people to, to run for the benefit of their health and nobody's making money out of it. So these small examples remind us that ordinary people do have some power to bring about change and I really do think it is possible for us to live sustainably here on this planet Earth home. It, it, it's quite poignant bringing this topic together with our flower communion that we're now moving into. I mean, some of you will know the history of the flower communion. It was, it's a simple ceremony and it was first celebrated in the Prague Unitarian Congregation by their minister then, Norbert Chapek, and, and his partner, Maya. Now, Norbert Chapek was eventually to die in a Nazi prison. He was imprisoned for his stand against tyranny, for equality of all peoples. I, I'll always remember him because he could have stayed in the States and, and avoided the Holocaust, but he chose to come back to his congregation in Czechoslovakia and stay with them through some of the darkest days of the 20th century. He created this communion to, to encourage us all to think that, that we're all unique, all the flowers are different, but they're all needed to, to create the whole and there is a beauty to each and every one of them, even when their petals are falling off and they're getting chewed by green fly, as some of us are. So Chapek wrote that the church's task, he felt, must be to place truth above any tradition, spirit above any scripture, freedom above authority, and progress above all reaction. And I think those are impulses that we fully support to this day. So it's in that spirit that I'm now blessing this collection of flowers. And let's recognise the each, the each, the unique contribution that each of us brings to our society and to the wider groups to which we belong. And let's give thanks for the wondrous spark of individuality that makes each of us who we are. And let's be grateful for ourselves, however fragile we sometimes feel, however flawed we know ourselves to be. And let's give thanks for one another, the intriguing, irritating, glorious, sometimes frightening and exasperating folk who share our planet Earth home. And let's give thanks for this church community. So as Sandra plays us some music, I invite you in your own time to come out and silently choose a, a different flower to take home with you and, and sit with it and bring your own meaning to that flower. Thank you.
We are the fortunate inheritors of life itself. The generations that went before have passed their responsibility onto us, and we now can choose to bequeath a world of hope and possibility to the generations that will follow us. So in the week ahead, let us consider our life choices and the effect we have on the lives of others. And may we choose to live for the greater good of all. Amen. Amen. Go well and blessed be.